All right, everybody, welcome to the 361st edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage kicking it live and direct from Beaverton, Oregon. Oh, man, I, I was a guest on a podcast today, and I had a 15-minute segment, but at, uh, I think, like, minute five of the segment, my internet went out. <laughs> so... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I got a thing from uh, Comcast saying that it was uh, uh, a mistake. And then I was like, oh, well, I just get to save all my energy for the Holy Backboard. So <laughs> sorry, uh, Ryan. <laughs> How was your Thanksgiving? It was cool. Yeah, it was It was very cool. Um, we, uh, we had the normal fare of uh, Thanksgiving foods. So I, you, I, I talked about it last uh, podcast where I got the clam cakes. My mom invited people, so she didn't want to share the clam cakes. So we just made like, you know, mashed potatoes, green bean casserole, all the rest of the stuff. And uh, we're going to save the clam cakes for Christmas when it's just less people competing for them. I would you you made them and then you just snuck them away in the in the refrigerator so nobody could find them. No. Yeah. But yeah, my mom was telling me, no, we're not. We're not sharing. I'm like, all right, well, that's cool uh mine was good um still finishing up the last bit of some uh thanksgiving pie uh so i probably got a few days left on that but other than that really the leftovers went to good use the thanksgiving burritos were uh exquisite as as always um had some really good mac and cheese and as shade and sharp knows mac and cheese is vital to a thanksgiving plate so was was glad to have that i have to give myself a pat on the back uh the mashed potatoes that that i made i i think they took the top spot in all of the foods that were on on the table olga uh would attest to that so very very happy with how the mashed potatoes turned out but we now turn our attention to uh pretty much december and the Portland Trailblazers got a bit of a boost with the return of Malcolm Brogdon and Scoot Henderson. Uh, they've been much more competitive. In fact, they went two and two this week, um, losing to the Phoenix Suns 107 to 120 on on Tuesday in the in-season tournament, uh, which essentially eliminated the Trailblazers from their group. They followed that up with an impressive 16-point victory the sec, uh, the next night in Portland, uh, 121-105 in a game that really wasn't even that close. Uh, that was the return of one Scoot Henderson. Uh, the Blazers faced off against Damian Lillard for the first time in an opposing jersey, uh, kicking off the first of five away from home in Milwaukee, losing 108-102 in a game that saw the Blazers lead by as many as 26 points in the third quarter. Tough pill to swallow there, but again, they showed their resiliency on the second night of a back-to-back, holding the Indiana Pacers significantly below their lead, below their uh, scoring average and winning a strong game on the road, 114-110 to behind a 30-plus point outing from Jeremy Grant, Malcolm Brogdon seals it with a bucket in the paint. Sage, what did you take from this week in Blazers basketball that now has the Trailblazers uh, five and twelve um, on the young season? I mean, it, it just going from a guy like Skylar Mays who tries hard, 
but some he doesn't really have the vision to be a a point guard and replacing him with Malcolm Brogdon and Scoot Henderson to make decisions for the team it it resulted in Shaden Sharp having open runways to the rim it got DA shooting mid-range jumpers and those were totally green he was hitting some contested difficult mid-range jumpers making it look easy just having multiple decision makers on the floor at a time is hugely important you know Shaden hasn't been efficient since that last Utah game so like having guys that can make decisions and then making giving Shaden a chance to not think about like how to make the play work but just react I think just makes the team so much easier to to manage for Shaden and Jeremy. Jeremy, I mean, Jeremy got the ball in his shooting pocket, was ready to shoot and score. Like having decision makers and high level decision makers just makes things so much easier for this Blazers basketball. And we were worried about this team early in the year with the offense, but having those multiple decision makers on the board makes it so like, all right, I see how these guys are developing. You know, Shaden Sharps finally have has space to do like his, his dribble creations. Before it was just like let's blitz Shaden Sharp, make him make a decision. Now it's you know we Malcolm Brogdon's a legitimate NBA point guard. Scoot Henderson has the potential to be an amazing point guard. Having those guys make those decisions for the other players who get spoon fed easy points in bunches, I think was the main thing that I saw this week for the uh, Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, you you touched on him a bit, but let's let's talk about DeAndre Ayton because I thought it was a really uh, strong outing for him this week. Clearly, he has the return to Phoenix, plays really well against Yusuf Nurkic. Devin Booker, after the game, says, yeah, if you play like that with that intensity, good things are going to happen. So clearly, you know, we've, we saw it with Yusuf and we've seen it a little bit with, with DA. Effort and intensity and focus will go a long way. But I also think we're starting to see with better point guard play, you're going to get better DeAndre Ayton, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're finding him, you know, aside from the, the Milwaukee game, which was, I think, another, we'll, we'll touch on this, but it was another kind of example of where is Chauncey really the guy to coach this team because you're listening, and for me, I, I I rewatch every game. But in in the moment, I'm listening to the games, and it's down the stretch. It's crunch time. I only really hear two names popping up from Travis Demers, and it's Jeremy Grant and Malcolm Brogdon, each with the ball, mm-hmm. isoing their way to defeat. And you look at it, and DeAndre Ayton, Malcolm Brogdon takes 23 shots. Shaden gets 19. Jeremy gets 18. DeAndre gets six shots. He's five for six. He, he had a, he was having a very positive game, added 13 boards. I think they made an adjustment against Indiana and spoon fed him to the tune of nine of 13 shooting. So he's getting 22 points. He's still giving you the 13 boards. He's still going to be a, a menace on the glass. But I, I think this team needs to prioritize getting DeAndre the ball because he's he's shown the ability to hit the foul line jumper. He's shown the ability that he can finish off of uh, dribble penetration. Uh, we haven't quite seen the lob passing there yet. I think that will come with more Scoot Henderson minutes. There's j- just needs to be a little bit more diversity and creativity in feeding him the ball because what I've noticed since 
Malcolm and Scoot's return is the team is much more competitive. Mm. But the offense still, to me, feels a little predictable and, and stagnant where it's, okay, I'm going to drive and then kick. And then the first person who gets the ball is just shooting it, right? There's mm. very little swing, swing, swing. I saw it for the first time in a long time in that Utah game. Uh, but it just, that, that doesn't, that's not the calling card of this team. It, it's really just going to be simple five out kind of stand in your corner. I'll stand in mine and whoever decides to get the ball, they're going to make the move. And if you're open, you're, you're going to shoot the ball there, There's just really no other counter to, Oh, I'm open, but can I work for a better shot? Like that, that doesn't exist right now in, in rip city. And I think that in itself is decreasing the amount of opportunity for for deandre because i think he would greatly benefit from just becoming a focal point and he's being paid as a max player obviously i think that can be debated but he's shooting so well this year from the floor in all really areas aside from three point which you know you don't really need to be out there so i i want to see more of what we saw against indiana against phoenix where he is Maybe not option one, but he's at least option two or three because he he makes this team better. Bottom line, when he is, I don't think there's times where he's option four. I think he's option no. five on a lot of the. I mean, the the, the Milwaukee game specifically. You're I just don't know right. if I don't know if Brogdon and whoever is passing the ball looks for the center in a lot of. The, it just seems like they avoid. Unless he's going against a team that he has bad feelings about, they didn't really even target him. Like he gets those middies and they're going in, which is great, but he's not even really option three at best. Like he's no four or five. Well, normally not five because Tumani's in the game, but like he's not really a focal point. He's going to get those rebounds and sometimes he's going to get those. The, the points but he he, he he's probably gonna have like a minimum of six a maximum of like 14 i i don't know i i think that it i, I don't want to blame i think it's a mix of everything like i don't think he's demanding the ball i don't think malcolm is looking to give him the ball but it it, it should get figured out because we gotta know it, is DeAndre Ayton one of those elite centers or is he just good? So I think that it needs to, we need to figure it out, but I just don't think with, with who has the ball in their hands, he's even close to being the option that, you know, we get to see. And then there's like, sometimes he just doesn't look like he cares. He's just, he's just getting rebounds and passing it. I don't know. It, it's, it's a very weird thing with, with DeAndre. Cause he, he kind of has the, I don't know. I wish we did the Chris Paul thing where we got like Chris Paul got Tyson Chandler the ball early to get him motivated to play defense. I, I like even if DA does something great, we don't reward him a lot. So it, maybe it's a Chauncey thing, maybe it maybe it's a Malcolm thing. The only person that really gives him the ball is Scoot and Shaden if they front DeAndre. Yeah. I mean, you look at, at Malcolm. He's taking 16.2 field goals per game, highest since uh, the 21 season in Indiana where he took 17.5. So currently it's it's clearly the second highest amount of field goals he's attempted. 
Um, he is shooting the worst field goal percentage of his career for 41.2%. Um, Have you seen his layups? They're yeah, all, they're all short. He's exhausted. They're old man. He's, he, you know, he's, he's, uh, he has that was old. D, wasn't, wasn't game. Malcolm like 26 in that Indiana year? Like he was a much younger dude with much more bounce in his legs. This, this version of him is like, he should not be doing as much creation. Like he needs to get scaled back. Like it, it, it's, he, he is such an improvement over Skylar Mays. But he needs to get scaled back because it's it's bricking. He's bricking, and I think him playing so many minutes and so many like productive minutes that also might be a reason why Da is not getting the ball is because Malcolm's just too tired from making decisions. Yeah, I mean, when you watch again, the Blazers are much more competitive with Malcolm. Brock. Oh, absolutely. I, I can't state state that enough. You know, you go back to the games when it's Skylar versus Malcolm, and it's Portland's in every game with with Malcolm, except for um, opening night in, in Los Angeles. But when you watch Malcolm, it's a lot of quick decisions, and he's shooting the ball right off of the bat. Like there's mm-hmm. there's not even it's not when you look at his field goal attempts. It it's it could just be like oh Dustin the ball's just getting swung back around to him and he's taking all these grenades it's it's not that when he's shooting he is at least going quick in the shot clock and it's like okay Malcolm it's Malcolm time right he's he's it's three points or layups yeah and he's he's deciding to to shoot and that's that's why he was coming off the bench in Boston it's why he won six man of the year Tech, traditionally that goes to one of the better scoring guards mm-hmm. um, in the NBA off the bench and that's exactly you know, what he did for, for the Boston Celtics. He, he put up 15 points, shot 48, 48.5% from the field, uh, 44% from three. Like he had a phenomenal year on a good team and his role is being changed into something that I don't think suits necessarily him. And I don't this think version suits, of Malcolm. Yeah. I, I don't think it suits the, the trailblazers um, as, as well. And it kind of leads me into my, my next point in Indiana, game is close. Portland goes with their starting lineup. Aside, they swapped Tumani for Matisse, but there was no Scoot Henderson on the floor to finish the game. There was Scoot in Milwaukee. There wasn't Scoot in Indiana. My question for you, Sage. I know Malcolm hit the game, the game ceiling shot. I know Portland got the victory. I know Malcolm played well. But in a season where you, prior to tip-off, you trade away your franchise icon and Damian Lillard, you clearly make it known that this is a, a rebuild. You are in full development mode. We've, we've heard we've heard the such from every single player that gets, that gets interviewed post-game. Isn't this the type of season where your number three overall pick should kind of be ushered into these situations so that when the games actually matter in a, in a season or two where you're trying to fight for a playoff spot that Scoop has these experiences under his belt. Like to me, I was a little bit disappointed to not have him be there ball in his hands. And if, if he messes up, I am okay with that because again, you can't develop on the sidelines. You can't develop standing in the corner. You can develop firsthand experience. Well, I think one, Chauncey Phillips isn't thinking long-term about this. He's thinking extraordinarily short-term because good chance he gets fired, so why should he try and help the future Blazers? 
he's thinking about now and winning games. Second, I think TJ McConnell got both of our young star guards in their feelings because he was like he played like eight minutes and then Shaden Sharp pushed him. Scoot Henderson pushed. I think that I don't know if he was in the right mind to play basketball because he was just like he was irritated by uh, TJ McConnell. So maybe that was the reason. But Chauncey Billups, number one, is just not thinking about the future of the team. He's thinking about, can I stay another year? And maybe winning games is the key for me staying another year. So, yeah, I, I would have preferred Scoot to be there. But it, it's 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 Chauncey Billups fighting for his, his potential career. So I get why he thinks Malcolm Brogdon would put him in a better position for the now. Um I'm I mean, yeah, you're, think you're right. You see, you see coaches lean on their veteran, especially coaches who probably don't feel like they have the most job security. Um, but everybody thought, in Portland hates him. Like, you know, he, he, he definitely feels the hot, the hotness of the seat. Yeah. But I've, I would say that, you know, we're starting to see flashes from, from Scoot and it was really a, a boost to my fandom that he returned uh, against Utah because when you're rebuilding, you know, you, you need to see those lottery picks out there. I mean, that that's really mm-hmm. what it, what it's all about because that's why you're rebuilding. You're you're essentially identifying these young, talented players and saying, we view you as foundational building blocks and to finally get them back on the court and kind of, and to see what they have to offer was, was really fulfilling and refreshing. And um, as you all know, I watched the, the away feeds and even the Utah feed, it was Scoot's first game back, seven assists, only shot one of seven from the floor. But Thurl Bailey, their uh, play, not their play-by-play, their their analyst, their color guy, was um, he was just talking about the Scoot Henderson effect. Like he's getting the ball, he's pushing it, pushing the tempo. Like you have to identify that, you have to account for that. And his first time on the court against Utah, it didn't result. You look at the box score; it's not going to register anything. But he gets the ball. He gets to a strong hand. He's basically foul line extended and he jumps like he's going to shoot his mid range shot. Two defenders hop out at him and he does a jump pass right to Jabari mm-hmm. Walker and he just spoon fed Jabari. He, he didn't finish the bucket, but that's the type of skill set that Scoot offers that really nobody else provides for, for the Blazers. And he's finally starting to, to hit his three point shot. He's he's five for his last seven, which is just wonderful for him. Some off the catch, some off the dribble. Um, do you, some, do you, do you like Scoot's shot? Like the form? Do you think the form is fine? You know what? When you see Tyrese Halliburton shoot, like he does, but, but it goes it, in. Absolutely. I mean, in, in you Desmond see, Bain, Sean Marion, like yeah. all I care about, does it go in the basket? Right? Like if, if I, I I think that he might have a rhythm problem because I think most of his made threes are off of uh, off ball, like him dribbling the ball in his bands and pulling up. I don't think he has the rhythm down muscle memory wise to be a catch and shoot shooter. I think he's right now just a pull up shooter because every three pointer I remember made him making is off the pull up variety. Like Dame had when Dame was guarding him, he like had rhythm dribbles and shot. I, I I really think that he kind of has that Killian Hayes not doesn't have the rhythm to grab the ball in his shooting pocket and shoot. I think he needs to have that dribble and that I, I feel like his shot is much more clean 
And form is better when he's on the uh, dribble pull up instead of the uh, catch and shoot. That's just something I've recognized in the uh, the times where he's actually making threes. I think they're all in the dribble. The good thing is he's 19 and that's why I want to see him out there um, as much as possible to work on all of these, you know, flaws that that he may have. How many times do you think he really got to catch and shoot threes either? And all of his all he could like he wants to go downhill. Well, it's also the G League Ignite, like yeah. we're seeing it this year with them. When you bring in players just trying to get to the NBA, you're not going to really build a lot of chemistry or offensive ball movement. It's going to be a lot of isolation. And, and then in, in Marietta, Georgia, do you really think there's a good, you know, connector piece to get him catch and shoot shot? I just don't think he's that used to doing that no. action. So like the, um, the off the dribble is like, this looks like an actual shooter. He kind of needs some space to do it, but he's hitting these shots. Question for you. I know it's eight games in for for Scoot Henderson. Not going to talk about the shot. Not going to talk about the percentage. I think the three-pointer will take care of itself. When we watched tape of him at the G League and in high school, he had an explosion. He had a, a burst athletically. Um, I sent you a clip of when he finished that that lob from from Thibault, and it was just a little little bit of a layup. Like we haven't seen him hit the gas and just burst vertically in into the air, like you know a Derrick Rose or a Russell Westbrook. Were was his athleticism oversold? Do you think it's no? A I think that issue? clip that you sent me was kind of Matisse's fault for a bad pass too. I have okay. no I, regardless of that, but like we still do you think it's we just haven't seen it yet? Because I'm waiting for the athleticism in the NBA level to pop, and I, I haven't seen are that. Are you yet. talking about jumping ability athletically or speed? Because we've definitely seen the speed. We've seen the speed in the open court, but not as much like from if, are we just talking in. vertically? Because yeah, vertically a little bit too. Yeah, I want to well. Do you think it's a confidence issue where he's just like, no, I think it's a spacing issue. I think it's a spacing issue. Like 99.9999%. Our spacing's horrible all the time. So how can you explode into a dunk when there's three people you're trying to score over? So I, I, yeah, like that clip that you sent me, Matisse threw the lob and he met the dude in the air. So it wasn't as exciting as it could be. No, I'm not really worried about his athleticism and, uh, once that's a team with shooters that te- opposing teams respect, it's going to be a lot easier. Because, I mean, like right now, I think Reef is our best shooter. Like the teams respect Reef the best out of everyone. You see Jeremy Grant get wide open jumpers, but last game against uh, who's who, who's the team we played last time? Indiana. Indiana. I, I remembered the yellow, so I was it was either the Nuggets or the Pacers. When Reef got it at the top of the three, they ran out at him. I don't see any of that respect from any of our other players. So even if it's looking better, I think that once it's an open, uh, once there's openings to drive, I think that you'll see the athleticism. But I definitely see the speed. Like even in these these uh, less than ideal spacing conditions, I see the speed very very clearly. Um, but maybe th- I think the vertical pop will sort itself out when there isn't like three people that he's competing with. And I mean, I, I see him do like Euro steps and his head, his face is hit at the rim height. So I think that that was just 
a bad pass and he wasn't expecting Matisse to throw the lob because it was because the defender was going back and he was towards uh, Scoot more so than he was Matisse. It should have probably been Matisse getting a layup. So I, I yeah, I'm not really worried about any vertical pop. I'm not really worried about any lack of athleticism that you know was gone. Be- and also, didn't he just come back from an ankle injury? Yeah, Maybe. it was also prior to the ankle injury that I, I hadn't seen it. So I was just want you know want to get. No, I, I'm not. I'm not. I personally am not worried at all about it. I do love the braids, the goggles, and the compression shorts that extend a couple inches below the shorts. I mean, Scoot looks like a 2023 version of Buck Williams, mm-hmm. uh, and I am I am all uh, for that. I think it's one of the the coolest looks in in the league. So, uh, do you? you have I wonder how bad his glass uh, his eyesight was. They said it. Oh yeah, because he, he did have um, contacts. contacts put in. So that that's interesting. As two spectacle men, like I I I can't I can't even play video game. Like my my. Computer is my uh, TV is right here. Like I can touch it from where I'm sitting. If I I have a thing on Twitch where if people wanted to donate, I'd play video games without it. Like I can I I know that you're wearing yellow, but I don't really know where you are on my screen. So like if his eyesight was really awful and he's like a blue chip talent with awful eyesight, that's pretty pretty insane. When I played with the Skyhookers, shout out Stupendous. Um. It's it really sucks playing with if you just have traditional glasses like I don't I don't like contacts I don't have contacts it sucks playing with glasses so I have an old like my very first pair if I like take those out I I can't shoot like it's yeah. hard the the rim is fuzzy like I don't and I put even if I put on my original prescription I'm like oh there's that's where it needs to go like it, there's just it's night and day so if, if Scoot's vision is enhanced uh more power to him and i hope that he's shooting is- like a at a pretty good rate with the glasses on too so it's that might be an issue he's but. shooting uh five five of ten from three with the glasses five of his mm-hmm. last seven to be and i bet exact. most of those makes are off the pull-up variety i saw a few off the catch and shoot when i was watching really i i really think that it might be a a, a lack of experience issue on the catch and shoots i think it's also mental Right. Yeah. I mean, if you look at any sport right now, I'm a, I'm a big Ducks fan. Camden Lewis is our kicker. Used to be completely reliable, although it wasn't his fault. We lost against the Huskies. He missed a game tying pretty easy sub 40 yard field goal. Ever since then, he has just been so inconsistent unless it's just like a bunny field goal. And it's it's completely all in his head. And he's, he's you know, you you get in, in your head it really takes away from your ability just to kind of, okay, this is muscle memory. This is what I do. I think with Scoot, the great thing is he's continued to shoot, but Mm -hmm. there's no Ben Simmons to his game. There's no Ben Simmons, but I I think he definitely would, would tell you that he knows what he was, what two for 24 to start Mm -hmm. the season, something along those lines. So hopefully he kind of is off the schneid and he's like, okay, I, I got my five of my last seven, like, I can do this now. You see the ball go through the net and you, and you feel more comfortable. Hopefully that will work. Uh, last thing on Scoop before oh. we move on. Okay. I think he's playing off ball too much. Yeah. yeah. I don't love the pairing with Malcolm Brogdon. Um, 
like you have a 19 year old point guard coming into the NBA playing major rotational minutes. I think that's hard enough in itself on ball is where he needs to start to grow. And then I think once he starts to get a handle on that, then you can play him off ball a little bit more, but to come, I mean, it's like, you're starting a job as a construction worker and they're saying, Oh no, we also want you to do accounting too. Like go do accounting, but you're also going to be a construction worker. Like they're, they're on and off ball are two completely different animals. And you're asking him to do something that is more of a weakness than, than a strength. And again, we're in a developmental season. So I want to see the ball in his hands. Malcolm Brogdon is more than capable of playing off ball, given how well he can shoot the ball from downtown. Um, I, I just think the off ball will come in time on ball is where he needs those, those reps. It seems like more. you're discussing a guy that's trying to win games to keep his job. So he's not going to give, but it I think the, it makes the Blazers better to win games though. That's the, I think it I get helps it, everybody. but you know what, you know, Chauncey Billups thinks Malcolm Brogdon gives him a better chance today, November 28th at winning games and Scoot Henderson, right? Like that, that's the thing. But I, I agree that he probably needs to be on board. But I love the way that he isn't like they've been doing this th- this kind of weird weave where he's on the he like goes diagonal down the court and then either Shaden or Jeremy weaves behind him and he dumps it off to them and then they have a full start full running start at the basket. So I'm liking the little pivots that they're doing with Scoot off ball because uh, on ball. With, you know, he's such a willing passer that they're willing to do some weird, like, two-man weave type of actions on the, uh, on the, uh, in half court. So I like that he is such a willing passer, but yeah, he probably needs to just get all the, the PT he possibly can with the ball in his hands. But I think that it's really just Chauncey Billups, like, I'm screwed if I don't make, you know, if I don't win games, which I think is just a, a a bad risk, you know, risk analysis. He's probably losing his job in the next calendar year, but he's kind of doing us a disservice by not putting the ball in Scoot's hands. But I, yeah, I, 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 I have no issues with what Scoot's doing. Like, I, I think he's just doing it all right. I think that he might be on... A, 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 a reason he didn't finish the game. Do you think he's on a internal minutes restriction from the leg injury that took him out for like, you know, two full weeks? Do you think that they might have had him on a like a 22 minute re- restriction where Chauncey's actually respecting the said restriction? Like maybe that's another issue of why he's not playing as much as we would like, especially in those final five. I mean, he played 27 minutes against the Bucs, and he played 22 against the Pacers. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that it's a thing where, like, oh, we're competing against the Bucs. I'm going to play Scoot. Oh, shit. He had a 24-minute uh, restriction. Okay. I'll make sure he doesn't. You know, coaching brain is... <laughs> I don't know, man. The fact that we don't get the information in general sucks, but coaches in general are dirty, dirty liars about you know, minutes and restrictions and stuff like that. So maybe, maybe it's one of those where they have like a restriction that Chauncey violated game against the bucks and uh, couldn't against the pace. I don't know, man. Player. I want to talk about that. We haven't talked about a lot on this podcast. This season is Jabari Walker. I have, I just enjoy when he's out there. 
mm-hmm. like if I were like I like to do these these Gen Z comparisons of older players, and especially specifically like Portland Trailblazer players. Like he reminds me so much of like a Gen Z version of Brian Grant. Like I know a lot of people think of the Brian Grant in two thousand that was a little bit bigger, um, a little bit bang more banged up with his his knees going up against Shaq. He reminds me of the '99 version, the one that started, the one that went toe to toe with Karl Malone. You know, he got the the cut over the eye, like a little bit more bouncier. Uh, Jabari really has filled out this this summer. He he looks like he has uh, an NBA body. He's always around the rim. He's always hustling. He has shown the ability to hit the the jump shot, and why I say he's Gen Z version because he's extended the range out to the three. I just love his activity. Um, I don't know if he's ever going to be a starter in this league, but I think every team needs a uh, Jabari Walker, and I, I really want to continue to see his minutes um, elevate. Uh, when DA was out against Utah, there were more minutes available. You know, he puts up 19 points and 10 rebounds, gives you two assists, two steals. Uh, in, in 28 minutes, shot two of three from downtown, plus 50% from the field. Like, especially when you're going through a rebuild and you're going to have a lot of losses, to know you can count on someone to bring the energy and to know their role, um, he's just kind of been so refreshing to watch. He's also a player who's just not going to um, think me first, right? He'll make the pass if it's there. He'll shoot the shot if if that's what the, the read calls for. Um, what have you seen from, from Jabari this year? Because as someone who came from a late second round pick, like he is. It's, it, it's an enormous value for him to he's be. All, he's this really, he, he should be a junior in college right now too. Mm. I mean, he, he's done a lot, especially body mechanics. Like he used to have an inc- incredible hitch in his game. Now I think that he's he measured it out. Yeah. He looks good. He's kind of, you know, I don't know if I actually said it on the Holy Backward or I just said it to you. I wanted PJ Washington because of his versatility. Like he could play the four, he can play the five. You know, we've, I don't know, we didn't know who who was going to be our center this year. Like, but I wanted a guy that could play the four or the five, switch it up, stretch the floor, you know, play big body ball. Jabari could be that version of PJ Washington for us. I just wish that he got a guaranteed amount of minutes instead of him playing 25 one day, 16 the other, you know, 14, 23. Like if he could be our third big off the the third, third big on our team, I think that would be huge. I just don't like us playing with his minutes so much because he does give us a lot of good basketball. I mean, he. He might be six nine. He could be six seven. But the fact is, he uses his body really, really well to uh, to uh, make impact plays, whether it be rebounding or you know boxing out. I I really would feel comfortable with him being our uh, third big. Like he he's been excellent. I, I mean, I trust him so much more than most of the players on our team. So Jabari's been fantastic. The way that he's changed his body, the way that he uses his body to create issues for the opposing team he can shoot i just wish that he would uh know his personnel on the floor a little bit more because sometimes he he posts up when deandre ends right there but i think that he's really really uh, a very skilled very good player um but i i definitely could see him 
you know, if DA gets into foul trouble, we don't really worry about it because he can he can play that five. I, I love the versatility too. Couple of quick shouts um, to Monty starting to show the ability to shoot the ball. Like before, it was like he was invisible. He's at least shooting the basketball. He had a really nice dunk over Chet Holmgren uh, to start the game against the Thunder. I I am appreciative of that because that's what I what I asked for. Um, I don't know when we're going to see Ray and Rupert get real NBA minutes, but when you watch him with the remix and when I watched him uh, come in to play the Utah Jazz, looks much larger and longer on film now than he did on film um, when we were doing our, our draft, our future Fridays. Like he is really growing. And if he has any more like growth coming, I mean, you watch him, he has all arms like I think Mike Schmitz and Joe Cronin in that scouting department and the developmental team, like have to really be drooling over what this kid could become two, three years down the line. That's, you know, that shows again, the the inherent value of having your own G league franchises, mm-hmm. which we've been talking about for, for years on this, this podcast, but I'm, I really hope we get to see like, you know, come March, April, when we're completely out of it, like we start around. to give repair some, some assignments like I want to see like how do you defend Clay Thompson how do you defend Devin Booker like just even if it's a couple of possessions um clearly the offense is even further down the line but if you can get to a point where he is a legitimate wing defender in this league I mean he just has disruptor um written all over him so I think that is going to be a sneaky good pick that you know when, when we think about the forwards in the future like I know there are a lot of names out there. Don't don't sleep on on repair. I th- I think of all of the guys we have, um, whether you talk about Chris or Tumani or Jabari, um, whatever. I think he could be the best long term piece that you can start to look around um, at that forward position. I just don't think that you're gonna see big. I think that he's really a physically he's weak. I don't see him developing that core strength in season. I think this is going to be a summer job where he has to get his man's body. Like, and then there's no disrespect. I think that he just hasn't had a chance to get his man's body. Like I, I, I'm very excited for him, but I also see that he gets pushed around rather easily when he's playing NBA competition. So I, I, I'm wanting to see what his improvement is the next season if he can come in with a man's body, I think he's really aggressive. So if he can have that that body to make it so he can put up with the physical, you know, demands of the NBA, I think that would be really good. I just don't see him being able to put that that muscle in when he's also playing games with the remix and stuff. Um, but you getting into development kind of makes me think, you know, like all minutes. Well, first of all, all developments are different. They're not they're not the same. So when you see people playing more minutes, they're not developing at the same rate. So when Shane Sharp's playing 40 minutes, he's not developing if the ball isn't in his hands because he's going to be a guy that is a decision maker when he's at his apex of skill and athleticism. So him being in the corner just chilling and then playing defense really isn't as beneficial as him with the ball in his hands. Like, you and I love Jason Ivey. If he came out his rookie, his freshman year, 
he would have been a second round pick. But the fact is, he his development track was you know two years, and he was a good player. Carmelo Anthony came into the, to the Syracuse and was great. So everyone's uh, like you know development tracks are different. And then when I'm when I'm looking at guys like Shaden Sharp, his minutes on the floor should be way more valuable with the ball in his hands. Every player in the NBA has a different, like, quality of minute. Like, Joker has the, is the best player per minute. I really wish that we would turn Shaden's minutes down, but put the, the, the level of the responsibility in his hands up. Because there's times... Quality over quantity. Yeah. Like, those first three quarters, you never hear Shaden Sharp's name. Like, it's very rare. All of it happens in the fourth quarter. I really wish the Blazers would turn turn down how many minutes he plays, but just give him more responsibility in every minute that he plays because I think it's way more valuable for him to have the ball in his hands in these minutes. Like, if Scoot's off the floor, he should have the ball more. But, like, it, it, it's just – it's kind of weird to – like, I, I know, like, everyone wishes they were developing at the same rate, but, you know – it they they don't everyone is individualized with how they improve in everything basically so i i really wish that the blazers would think about yeah we're playing shaden sharp 40 minutes but he's not really doing anything for 34 minutes of this time maybe we should not maybe we should put him on the bench a little bit more and let him run the offense and not stick him in a corner where he just has his hands up waiting for someone to get past the ball that won't until yeah, the last 6 mentioned- minutes when you mentioned Shaden, and I think this year has been, I'm sure he's he's enjoying getting the playing time, but I also think there is, I think there's probably a lot of internal frustration. One, he's not shooting the ball well. I still think there's something to be said about that that thumb injury because it happened with him last year around the same time of the season as, as well. Um, apparently, he's not even on the injury report, so hopefully... Dirty, dirty that, lying coaches, man. So hopefully that's something that heals by itself but you know we talked about it last week and there's just a lack of playmaking on this team a lack of spacing and a lack of playmaking and when you have a player like Shaden who excels off the ball who excels in transition you you need to give him a runway just like we talked about with Scoot like if the paint is packed like he there's really nowhere to go and if you're not hitting your jump shot you're going to be taken out of of the game. Like I I think, you know, I was telling you this when we were talking about the draft, like I really want to prioritize playmaking because, you know, we're trying to turn Shaden into one and he's made some good decisions, but aside from him, it's really just scoot Henderson. Mm -hmm. Like you need more playmakers. And I was listening to another uh, podcast. I believe it was uh, Zach Lowe and he had a thunder um, analyst on, and they they kept talking about all of the playmakers that OKC has. And, and, And Zach was talking about, you know, they keep drafting these playmakers and I'm wondering how it's going to fit. How do you have so many playmakers on the court at the same time? And this is obviously pre Josh Giddy news. And it's also disgusting that he is still playing while the investigation is unfolding him Uh, and miles bridges, but yes, uh, miles bridges should be banned. Uh, So that's, that's my sidebar, but OKC works so well because they have unselfish players. They have players who look to set up others. And 
you can't defend a team when everybody can really make a play, right? It's so hard for a defense to say, oh, I don't have to close out on this person because they can't shoot, or I can close out on this person because I know they can't put the ball on the floor and they can't Mm -hmm. find, uh, they can't make a quick high level decision, right? You know, that's what we've always talked about. How do we get that player in the middle of the floor to make that quick decision the way Golden State has Draymond, you know, doing that all the time. Portland needs somebody else that can really, one, take the ball handling responsibilities away from Shaden, you know, give him some time to to operate, but you need players that are going to help him get easier looks. Mm -hmm. And it's going to make, it's going to open up everything when you get more ball handlers, more playmakers, more decision makers, people who just have really high IQs and, you know, that, that's really what, what this team, I think, severely, severely lacks. Well, I mean, just think about it. In the playoffs, like, how did the opposing teams stop Chris Paul? They get the ball out of his, hand, out of his hands and J.J. Redick and, you know, Blake Griffin at the time couldn't really, or DeAndre, couldn't really make a play for anybody else. So if you have multiple guys that are high-level basketball IQ guys that can make plays makes it easier for everybody. I mean, of course we want Scoot to feel empowered, but we also want to make it easier for him to be a successful player in the, in this league. So yeah, I, I think having the IQ and the, the feel for the game is very much, you know, a, a thing that we need to look for in the future. I also think that we need spacers as well. I think those are the two things like we're we're, you know, at Shaden's peak, he's going to be an elite defender. Like, I I think we can train these guys to play good team defense. But we need guys that inherently have that skill set of setting players up and shooting the ball. Because it's hard to create an offense that's working when Matisse can't set a screen correctly and, you know, isn't a threat from three. So I, I think we just need guys that can have high feel and can shoot before we go into the week's upcoming games. Um, quick shout out to Jeremy Grant, who's playing the best ball of the young season uh, over his last four games. He's tallied 26, 30, 22 and 34 points. Uh, he is shooting a scalding hot 16 of 23 from three over his last four games. He even found time to hand out uh, six assists in Phoenix, uh, four assists against Utah. He pulled down seven boards against the the Pacers, which go along with three blocks that game. Um, He's not really turning the ball over. Um, I think he is probably right now, we talk about DeAndre early on in the episode, but I think he's been the biggest benefactor of having Malcolm Brogdon and Scoot Henderson back on the oh, floor yeah. to take those ball handling, take those decision-making, uh, take those isolation options off of his plate and really just let him catch and shoot, get into the pocket. I mean, you saw, especially in the Indiana game, just walking into threes really mm-hmm. off of the fast break, you know, off of the dribble penetration, off of the swing. Um, you're still pro move grant for first round picks, right? I mean, I just did a Blazers rebuild and I traded him for Tari Eason and picks. So, yeah, but I think that he's doing really well, but. I agree. I I can definitely live with this version of Jeremy yeah. where 
He's not taking 20 attempts a night. The, the attempts are coming within the flow of the offense. Like Jeremy being asked to be the number one option, including the ball handling responsibilities, Tough. is not a good time. Like I do, I want no part of that. But if he's okay being a secondary or even a tertiary mm-hmm. option, which is going to have to be the case when you bring in a, a guy like Anthony Simons back, uh, so then you got your log jam back again at the guard position, um, you're going to need him to be more of that catch and shoot guy. And I think that's really where he thrives. The the data suggests as much when you look at his career when he's you know two a three four option rather than a one two option. So I was listening to again I Brian. Uh... Brian's podcast earlier that I wasn't able to do my part for. What position do you think Jeremy Grant is right now? I know I know positions shouldn't matter, but they were saying that he moved down a position and he's the three now, and uh 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 Tumani's the four. Do you think that he is the playing the three if we were talking positions right now i mean no disrespect to tamani but there's really no positions when he's on the floor like he's kind of just like a warm body to go out there and defend the best player like it doesn't matter like he's guarding marketing he's guarding booker uh he's really guarding the other team's best option right now so like he's truly positionless but if you're looking at like down the road, whether you're saying, okay, we got Scoot, Shade, and Jeremy, DeAndre, and, and X, I think the benefit of Jeremy Grant is you could go big or you could go a little bit smaller. It just depends. Can that player rebound? Because you have to make up for Jeremy's lack yeah, yeah, of rebounding. DeAndre, well, and he, he has been rebounding a lot better as of late. I mean, he still combined for four rebounds against the Bucks and the Jazz. Okay. But like, uh, yeah, but Giannis and, and Brooke Lopez. The jazz, a lot to handle. The jazz, two rebounds against the Walker Kessler less jazz. Okay, I zero what rebounds a, against zero rebounds against OKC. Like I, he's still a poor rebounder. Yes, he yeah, had sure. seven. He's still a poor rebounder. So whatever player you get, whether it's like an OG Ananobi or a Jarris Walker, it, it doesn't matter. Like those I was players, say Jarris Walker in that situation too. <laughs> those players would have to take on the larger mm-hmm. rebounding bulk. I also think Shaden Sharp could help in that aspect of uh, a rebounding as well, because that athleticism is just pouring out of him. He honestly, he could get six and rebound six assists every game. If he was put in that position too. I really think that, you know, but I, honestly, Jeremy so long, can guard long, long answer short. It, it, it doesn't matter. You just need to, whatever player is next to him at the forward has to be a rebounder. That's yeah. it. I, honestly, like I think Jeremy can guard like two through four rather easily, defend them at least. Maybe not get the rebound, but he can defend them. I mean, Shane Sharp can guard one through four. I think people like putting, putting like having to force Shane Sharp to be the two or the three or whatever. It doesn't really matter because he can def- defend everything, and it's not 1980 anymore. Like you see, Chris Paul defending the power forward on teams. You see, like. It, it doesn't matter. The only position groups that defend the other position group, position group is center. So as long as Shaden, as long as Jeremy can defend th- their matchup, it really is positionless, p- positionless basketball right now. Like all, all we have to do is defend that matchup at a high, at a high level. And it's, it's chill. I, I think position like forcing them into that position group is kind of just like 1980s, like where, 
we need Scottie Pippen to guard other small forwards. That does, with with how basketball has changed, it doesn't really matter as long as you can defend that player. Position doesn't matter. Like Shane Sharp at times is going to be the point guard. Shane Sharp at times is going to defend like Jason Tatum at the four. It doesn't matter as long as he can do what he needs to do. I just want to have high IQ players that can put them in the right position. But let's right, talk let's, about this. This week. talk about the next slate of games. Uh, I correctly predicted the Utah victory, so now we are even, Stephen, on the season. Sage already blowing, blowing a, a two-game lead uh, in the month of November. So we are back uh, square one. Just two games this week. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a little bit interesting. The Blazers. I don't know when they're going to find out their opponents uh, for the the week of December fourth. But as it stands right now, they have they have two games until December eleventh. Um, and those two games are the last two of the the road trip. The Cleveland Cavaliers on December second, uh, a team that they lost just a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. by fourteen uh, at home, where Donovan Mitchell took over late in that fourth quarter. Um, and then the Utah Jazz uh, again. This is the third time they played the Jazz. Uh, they lost by sixteen in Utah on the fourteenth, and they won by sixteen at home on the twenty second. So. Uh, Sage, how do we see these games going? What are you looking for against the Cleveland Cavaliers? Both, you know, so Scoot Henderson and Matisse, or Scoot Henderson and Malcolm Brogdon, both not ex- mm-hmm. no, both not on the floor uh, for that Cavaliers game. It really was the the Dwap Reith special keeping them in the game as long as he could from three, and really nothing worked. And it was just too much Mitchell, too much size from the Cavaliers interior. They really swallowed up DeAndre Ayton. It really wasn't a good game plan to get Ayton the ball down low and just say, hey, try to score on Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Stand still, ready for Yeah, it was just, that. it was a pretty, pretty, pretty pathetic offensive game plan. Um, I want to see, I, I want to see Scoot versus uh, Garland. Uh, Garland, yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting one. If Scoot can defend Darius Garland to a, a draw, I think that's going to be huge. I don't know who we have that can stop Donovan Mitchell, though, but if Scoot and no Darius are pretty similar in size. If Scoot can put that thing on him and shut him down, I think that's good. that's a pretty elite point guard right there, Darius Garland. His handles is he probably has top five handles in this class. If Scoot can put a good defensive effort on him, and maybe Shaden can defend Donovan without fouling, I think that's our best chances to put those two guys on them and see what they can do against an elite backcourt. But the, the Cavalier size is just something we cannot handle with Evan Mobley going against Jeremy Grant. I think they're just going to get all the rebounds possible. So I, I, I think the Cavs win this game and it's basically because they just bully us on the boards and create, you know, second chances out of, you know, our lack of yeah. rebounding outside yeah. of the NBA. Cavs, Cavs, I think pretty, pretty easily. They are a bad matchup for us. We're great at scrapping away second chance points, uh, getting those garbage points um, in the paint. Their size really negates a lot of that. We allowed them to shoot 56% from the field um, in Portland. They shot 20, they shot 42 of 75. You know, this was despite them shooting nine of 30 which is just 30% from three. They still were able to put up 109 points. Um, they just destroyed us in, in the paint. And you look at their, they have a defensive mindset. Mm-hmm. They held us to 37% from the field. 
uh 34 of 91 like that, that's just that's terrible we we just really could not get clean looks um all game long nobody really shot the ball well that game deandre shot three of ten uh jeremy grant was seven of 17 shaden two of 12 um it, they, they're it, just a good defensive team that they're a really good defensive team i think for portland to win you're going to have to see a lot of the same things they did against Indiana, where it was getting Jeremy Grant's open looks. You have to hope he continues his his hot start. And then I, I think you need somebody, whether it's a Scoot or Shaden, to to have a another 20 point performance that can um, accompany. But Indiana's like the worst defense. Cleveland, Cleveland, I I, yeah. That's why like, I say it's not a good matchup. I, no, I, I no, it's not a good matchup at all. Um, and I don't think you're going to get the production from Aiton like that you did against Indiana that you're going to get um, in Cleveland. And that, that was probably the, the accompanying score that Portland would need um, to, to get this victory. And now the Jazz for the, the third time in as many weeks, uh, the Utah Jazz are right ahead of Portland in the standings. Uh, they are 6-11 on the season. The thing about the Jazz... They're terrible away from home. One in seven. It doesn't matter if Jerry Sloan's the head coach or not. This is must be a Utah Jazz rite of passage. But despite being a young team, they are still plus 500, five and four in Utah at the Delta Center, uh, a place that's always been a, a tough place for Portland uh, to get a victory. It's, even though Portland and Utah have played twice so far this year, it's hard to compare this one apples to apples because you look at the, the Tuesday game on November 14th, uh, Portland without Malcolm and Scoot. And then you look at the the Wednesday on November 22nd, Portland didn't have DeAndre Ayton. Um, Walker Kessler missed both those games. I'm not entirely sure if he's going to be back. They're still starting Keontae George. Um, Lowry's injured. They go small. Um, I thought the key for them, so you said Lowry is injured. Yeah, his hamstring. So he's, he's going to miss two games. He is I- out. He missed yesterday's game against the Pelicans for sure. He, well, so underdog uh, underdog fantasy's NBA thing gives all the injury things. So they say his hamstring is out for at least two more games. So honestly, I could say that we 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 can project that Lowry's out for this game. Yeah, I think hamstring that's or nothing you want to mess with. Exactly. I think we can safely project him out for this game, and I think that's huge because he's. He's an all-star. But talent. Utah goes traditional because it looks like Walker Kessler is back. And then John Collins moves back to his traditional four. And I really thought the key difference, if you want to identify apples to apples between the two games, was John Collins. He mm-hmm. was much more dominant in Utah. You could see it was free-flowing. Um, if you look at his his numbers, he was phenomenal. 14 points, 10 rebounds, shot two of 40% from, from downtown, three blocks, uh, a steal. It just felt like he was all over the place in in that contest, and then you go back to last week's game in Portland, and he was a little bit non-existent. Mm. Twelve points, eleven rebounds, but it just didn't feel like he had those explosive plays. He only attempted one three-pointer, and he didn't make it, so he wasn't stretching the floor like he was mm-hmm. in Utah. So there's a difference in the way in which you score your points, and for the Jazz. They, if they're going big, they need him out there. They need him to uh, space the floor. And obviously, Jordan Clarkson wasn't as hot. You know, he's mm-hmm. the type of player who plays much better at home than, than he does on the road. Uh, 
it's going to be a tough one. Um, I'm going to pick Utah because they're at home. I would pick Portland if, if Portland was at home. This is traditionally throughout history been a home dominant series. Um, I I really want to see more Scoot versus Keontae George. I, I hope we get to see that um, just because it's, it's two rookies going at each other. And also Shaden. Shaden's had some good games against the Jazz. And um, he had a really good game with Damian Lillard. And the one game they played together as a starting backcourt before they shut Dame, Dame down last season in Utah. Um, so this this could be a I think I expect it to be close. I don't think you're going to see a 16 point victory either way, but I, I think players like Kelly Olynyk, Colin Sexton, they're they're just going to play better at home. And I don't know if Portland's going to need like Jabari Walker. They're going to need maybe some Matisse minutes. They're going to need Da to at least neutralize Kessler, but. We've talked about spacing. If Portland can shoot the three and open up the floor, oh, that's going to yeah, that's going to limit Kessler. Otherwise, he's just going to stay in that paint and he's going to try. Well, to and if Da can rim. hit those middies, that forces Walker to. This could be a wreath game if you want to. Oh, absolutely! Out to space out, out, space them out, run some pick and pick and pop action because I'll I'll, I'll live with wreath shooting open threes like that. Yeah. That is a great shot for Portland. You know, it, it's crazy with that archetype that Walker Kessler is. People just hated on it and hated on it and hated on it. But in the right positioning, kind of back in fashion now. It, it, it's do, dude, with 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 the dude in UConn, Klingon, Donovan Klingon. I mean, yeah. look at guys like Mitchell Robinson's having a really nice mm-hmm. year for for the Knicks. Um, Obviously, Walker Kessler had a dominant year last year. Jalen Duran can't shoot for shit, but he's still having a great exactly. year statistically for the Pistons. Uh, Bam really, he has a midi, but that's it. But he's still so good defensively. Like the the the, the bigs are starting. Like everything is is cyclical mm-hmm. in in the league, and you're starting to. There's to not see many that. human beings that can move and are as big as Donovan Klingon at UConn. I don't think that we're going to draft him, but I think that he's going to have a. F- pretty awesome uh career in the nba because of those two things but if we can neutralize uh walk walker with outside shooting honestly i'm gonna go the blazers victory because if lowry's out i think they're missing a lot of star power yes role players play better at home but they need that superstar to make things easier for them so if lowry's out i'm going blazers victory um, if he's in, I'm going Utah, but I, I, I really want to see Shaden Sharp have a really good Shaden game. It's, it's just been so long since we've seen him put it together fully. I want to see him doing it against Jordan Clarkson and, and, uh, that, that, uh, defense. So I, I want to see him hit some long range bombs and make it easier for the rest of the team. So I'm going Blazers victory. Do, do we have anything else that we want to say, or are we going to wrap this up so you can be a dad? Yeah, real quick. Uh, right now, the Blazers would have the sixth and 11th picks in the 2024 first round uh, NBA draft. The 11th pick would be courtesy of the uh, Golden State Warriors via uh, the Drew Holiday trade. Um, Sage, give our listeners a player that you're going to watch, not necessarily Future Friday, but like give them somebody to just go to YouTube and watch a couple of videos on. Who are you watching right now? Um, I, I shared them with you today, but Ryan Dunn from Virginia. If you're looking for 
that defensive guy in the draft, Ryan Dunn from Virginia. And I know Virginia is a boring, very boring team to watch, but he is a very, very high quality wing defender. I think he is the Tari Eason of this draft, the defensive guy that is showing flashes and glimpses of other things. But Ryan Dunn is really, really interesting right now at Tankathon. He's projected at 15. So that could be a potential Warriors pick right there. And then I got to go with my guy, Riley. Uh, shoot, what's it? Google. Google. It, I, I feel so un... I feel so nervous saying his name wrong but riley kugel from uh from florida i think honestly if we're trying to find guys that can make decisions and we don't get toe pitch kugel is a very very high high uh floor and high ceiling guy who can score in a multitude of ways and has a really nice bag of getting himself and his teammates involved and then there was that Virginia Florida game, so you could see both prospects at the same time. Yeah, somebody who I want to watch this week will be Trey Alexander from Creighton. Yeah, did prospect. you see this? That's my guy. I think he's, he's going to be a top ten pick. Fills up the stat sheet, averaging sixteen point six and a half rebounds, uh, nearly five assists, a block, and a steal per game for for Creighton. Just um, that's a fun I, team to watch too. And then a guy probably a little bit higher that I want to get to know is uh, Stefan Castle from uh, from UConn. Is he um, healthy yet? I don't know. That's what I'm going to check oh, out. He's, he's been injured this entire year. Oh, um, then 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 I then I might just go back and watch some high school tape because you know anytime you get a combo guard that's six six instead of six four, you could start to envision a world that in which that player could play alongside a Scoot and Shaden because I talked about playmaking. Want some playmaking, um, Alexander? I, 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 want, I just want to say one thing. He has got, he developed another level of athleticism. Alexander so, Sar? No, 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 no. From Creighton, Trey Alexander. Trey Alexander. Okay. He has. He was a really under the basket type of player, but he got a lot more athletic, more athletic this summer, and has been able to show it. Like he, I think he already passed his dunk total from last year already so he 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 has an another level of athleticism and he's pissed off that the nba draft process didn't work out for him so watch out for them creighton is a very 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 fun team to watch and trey has shown some really nice athletic uh boosts in his game so yeah like there's a lot of really I think the draft is bad, but there's a lot of role players that can help teams, if that makes sense. <laughs> All right, you ready to? Look I, I would say that every draft there's a superstar. It's up to it's up to Schmitz and Crowning and Company to to find that to find that Alex player. Star, baby. All right, um, take us away, Sage. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, everywhere where you get your podcast. We are there. Thank you so much for listening. I, I I have a, a feeling that there is going to be some draft content being out soon. The NCAA season is here and it's going strong. Born basketball, G League, all of that stuff. It's a great time of year for basketball. If you want to see the full YouTube version, we are available. And then we clip it up and send it to the people. So thank you all for listening. We are out of here. It is dinner time for me, and I know you have to be a dad. So peace out, everyone. See you next week.